1: Welcome in everybody to episode 219 of the podcast that is Sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is Monday, January 27th and realistically this is just going to be a different show guys. Um, I know you come here for College Hoops and I know you come here to, to recap the weekend and this is part of your Monday routine and I appreciate every single person who downloads this show and makes this show a part of what they do on Mondays. But, There was obviously a big story on Sunday afternoon, the tragic, tragic passing of Kobe Bryant, the NBA legend, his 13-year-old daughter, and of course seven other victims that were on the helicopter with him. It happened here in Los Angeles, frankly not far from where I live, and it feels kind of silly for me to just open the show and not acknowledge it and don't talk about it um, because this this is the biggest story not only in sports, but I think in society. I mean, this is touching every element of society. I live in Los Angeles and every TV station has been on Kobe coverage since this news first broke. It is one of the single most shocking pieces of news that I can ever remember. And so again, it would feel weird if I I didn't open the show by at least kind of talking about it. I get it's something that I normally don't do on this show. If you feel like Dude, A.T., I don't care about your opinion on Kobe. I get it. I understand it's nothing personal. On the back end, I will talk college hoops the weekend that was, uh, and I'll make sure in the kind of write-up for the show you know where to fast-forward to if you don't want Kobe talk. But again, it just feels weird on a day like today to be talking about, well, Kentucky beat Texas Tech and, uh, and Khalil went, and like I want to talk about that stuff but there are other things that are more important in the world than a big win or a bad loss or a kid transferring or whatever but i will on the back end what we'll do is we'll do this for whatever it is 5 10 15 minutes just talk a little kobe and then on we'll take a little break and then on the back end i will do kind of a pseudo regular show with topics from the weekend, whether it is the Kentucky-Texas game or Texas Tech game, whether it is Memphis completely falling apart. I don't even know if they're going to make the tournament. Khalil Whitney. And I will wrap. As promised, I'm going to talk about what I believe are about the 7-8 teams that can win the NCAA tournament. But again, it would be weird if I didn't start Kobe. If you don't care about Kobe, feel free to fast forward. On the opposite side, there may be people listening to this show for the first time that only care about Kobe and don't care about college hoops. But I appreciate you joining me. I know this is a big part of your day, and I did want to do this. I'm going to go straight into Kobe right now, and I'm just going to start by saying that I think my kind of initial gut reaction was the exact same as every single person listening to this. It was Sunday afternoon. I went I went to the gym early. I think I'm going to get this great workout in. Come home, watch UConn basketball. It's going to be a great day. UConn ends up losing in overtime to Tulsa. And of course, what do I do? I do what every fan does. And I am a UConn fan for people who don't know. I went to UConn, graduated in 2007. And I I, I do what I do. You know, I go on social media and I'm trying to see what everybody else is saying. And UConn loses another game, another close game. And this is such a big deal. And it's the biggest thing ever. And I'm so mad. And everybody's so mad. And it was wild because I saw kind of Kobe Bryant's name and picture kind of show up on my Twitter feed. And at the time, I frankly didn't think anything about it, because if you've been paying attention to the news cycle, Kobe Bryant was in Philadelphia on Saturday night, where LeBron James passed him on the all-time scoring list. And so of course Kobe was on my timeline, because he was in the news a day ago, a day before his passing. And so it didn't even register with me that anything could be wrong. And I see his picture a second, third, fourth time. And I don't know who it was, but somebody tweeted something to the effect of this can't be real or something like that. And all of a sudden I look at the headline, like I know all of you did. And it said TMZ, something to the effect of Kobe Bryant has passed away in a helicopter accident. And so of course, my initial reaction is the same surface visceral reaction that we all did, which is like, No, that can't be right. TMZ's missed on stuff before. I mean, this is Kobe. This is Kobe. I'm not even a huge NBA fan, but Kobe is so much bigger than sports or being an NBA fan or a college basketball fan or I like baseball or I don't even care about basketball or I don't live in LA. Like Kobe, no, that can't be right. And then you start thinking, well, if there's a helicopter crash, maybe he survived. And you know, you and 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 all of a sudden, well, there's no second source. And and, and th- can we really trust TMZ? Like I said, and then of course more information comes out. There's second, third, fourth news outlet. ESPN Woj, of course, Woj is the final signature kind of stamp of of news is when Woj says it, it is official. And you see that news, and it is official. And I mean, it, it is. I think for me, everything that it was for all of you, a punch in the gut, um, just just a tragic, sad, really sad thing. And then, of course, the, the the news that followed was that he, of course, was with his with his 13 year old daughter, Gianna. There were other people on this helicopter, and that there were no survivors. And so, what I kind of want to do over the next couple minutes is is kind of obviously talk about it, but frame it in a way. We have a lot of college kids that listen to this show, and I think if you're under a certain age, I don't think you realize who Kobe was and how much he meant to the game of basketball. And I'm telling you this is somebody that doesn't even, I'm not even a huge NBA guy, as you guys know. I'll talk NBA on this show once, maybe twice a year. I don't watch NBA regular season games. I don't care about, uh, you know, Mavs, Wizards on a Tuesday night. Like, that's not who I am. But if you're too young to remember Kobe, what I would say is this. First off, he was an omnipresent thing in basketball that was almost bigger than the sport of basketball and the sport of the league of the NBA itself. And it sounds crazy, but what you have to understand with Kobe is a couple things. And I was thinking about this and watching the news and listening to the coverage. you, You kind of reflect on things, but Kobe... Kind of came into our consciousness as a high schooler, we realized, okay, this kid's gonna go straight out of high school. It was kind of at this confluence of time when the internet is kind of becoming a thing. And I remember it was like TMZ before TMZ when Kobe Bryant, and anyone that's over about 35 will remember this. Kobe Bryant went to prom with Brandy. Brandy, you remember Brandy? You remember Brandy? The singer? He went to prom with Brandy, and he was kind of just, after that, he was like, okay, this kid's arrived. He just took the biggest singer in whatever. It'd be like somebody now taking, I don't know, Selena Gomez or somebody to prom. Like, this was a big deal. And so, this happens. He comes to the NBA. By year two, he's basically playing at an all-star level. And then from really, like, 1997 until, like, three years ago, he was in the, you couldn't talk NBA without talking Kobe. Now, part of it was he played for the Los Angeles Lakers. Part of it was he's playing with Shaq, he's playing with Phil, whatever. But he was uh, a rising star. He was the next Michael Jordan, and then he was a star. And Then, as I just referenced, he had the big dust-up with Shaq and Phil, He wins a couple titles, Shaq gets traded, he kind of hits a downturn, and we're kind of wondering, and he's still, by the way, the biggest story. Other teams are winning championships, but it's still like, well, Kobe, I mean, well, now he can't win with Shaq. What does it mean? Gets Pau Gasol, wins a few more championships. Like so many athletes, obviously down the stretch of his career, um, you know, struggles with injuries. And, and But even when he went out, he went out with 60. He was the mamba. Like, this is what Kobe did. Of course, Kobe's going to go out with 60 points on whatever it was, 40 shots or whatever. But I think what what was so crazy about the news on Sunday was that because he was so much larger than life, because he was so much bigger than basketball... I don't think that any of us ever, like, considered a world that he wasn't part of, right? Like, like you know, the the thing that we... What happened on Sunday was the thing that everybody does when, when anything sad happens, which is you start comparing, it, oh, well, this is the biggest tragedy since this, or that's the biggest tragedy since that. And what was so different about Kobe was that, you know, it's not as though we had any reason to think this was going to happen, Right. He hadn't been sick, he hadn't been in the hospital, nothing serious had happened, he had no history with drugs and alcohol, nothing like that. He was just a dude that eats, slept and breathed basketball, and then immediately went into coaching his daughters and being the omnipresent kind of person in their lives, and then he was just gone. And not only that, like I said, he was on our TVs on Saturday, two days ago, 48 hours ago congratulating LeBron on this incredible achievement, and I just don't think that anyone, if you're of, like I said, the age of about 30, 32, 33 or older, I just don't think you ever considered the idea that Kobe wouldn't be around, and part of it is because of the way he played the game. Kobe was one of these guys, and I don't think there is a guy like this in the NBA now, but if you hated the Lakers, you also feared Kobe. You also felt like, dude, this guy, when he is on the court, the game is never over. I mean, we used to use the term, and it's so unfair to use today. But I'm just telling you, the term was used. You got to stick a, you know, you got to put a stake in that guy, and you got to make sure he's done. Because I'll tell you, I used to watch games with my parents when I was a kid, and you, the team you'd be rooting for was up by four points with eight seconds to go, and you said, "Well, it's not, if Kobe's on the floor, it's not over. If Kobe's on the floor, it's not done." that was the kind of player that he was. He was I hate to use this term, so please forgive me. He was a killer on the court and you you had to, you know, you had to put your foot on his throat and make sure he was done to be sure that the game was over. And so the idea that this guy wouldn't be around I just don't think it ever crossed any of our minds. But like I said, he was bigger than the sport of basketball. And it's it's crazy because living in LA I can tell you this is that today, Sunday, was just an insane day. And I don't know what it was like in other parts of the country. I know everyone was shaken up. I literally had friends on the East Coast saying, dude, I when I saw the news, uh, I cried. I cried with my wife. I cried with my my girlfriend. I, I cried with my mom. I cried with my dad, whatever. Because it was this kind of news to gener- uh, to a certain generation of people. But in L.A., it was even bigger. I mean, walking around on Sunday, it was like walking through a cemetery. I'm not kidding, and I'm not trying to over-exaggerate or be sarcastic or be funny, but I mean, I, was, I went out for lunch, and we sat down at the bar, and the bartender said, yeah, people have been coming in all day just asking for a drink because it's a lot for people to process, and what I can tell you about LA is this. What I can tell you about Kobe and in the context of what he meant to LA is this, is that in LA, the Los Angeles Lakers are by far the biggest thing, right? I know some of you live in Kentucky and the only thing that matters is Kentucky basketball. And I know some of you live in Tennessee and the only thing that matters is the Tennessee Vols. Well, even in LA with two professional basketball teams, two professional baseball teams, two major colleges, UCLA and UCLA, UCLA and USC, two NFL teams. Now the Lakers are still by far the biggest thing. The Lakers are talked about 365 days a year on sports talk radio after it's the Lakers way up here and then kind of far down it's the Dodgers and maybe the Rams and maybe USC football and that's really it nobody talks Clippers nobody talks UCLA football nobody talks USC or UCLA basketball it's Lakers 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 but Kobe was even bigger than that because for an entire generation like I said he was there from 96 to whatever it was 2016 and this guy, like I'm telling you, I have friends that were like, dude, I feel like I grew up with him. Like, like you know, for my generation, that's what we used to do. You gotta remember, when he, when he was with Shaq, there was no smartphones. There was no iPads. There was no nothing. What people in LA used to do, my wife just told me this story, is you used to get together with your family, everybody would circle around the couch, and you'd watch Shaq and Kobe in the Lakers. And so for a certain segment of the population, this was like, I don't want to say like Babe Ruth, whatever, but like for LA, this guy meant so much more than I can ever describe. And for him to be taken out of nowhere, it's just absolutely bananas to think about. It's just absolutely insane to think about. And I'm telling you, when I say this whole city is mourning right now, this whole city is mourning right now. And so, what I would say is, like I said, he was an unbelievable basketball player, whether you liked the NBA, whether you didn't, I think we all kind of, as he got older, admired him, but what I really admired, and I think the part that hit a lot of us, because we all have families, we all have friends, we all have children, or parents, or whatever, was the fact that I think the last two or three years, we saw a different side of Kobe, and this was the part that hit me, and I did tweet it out, and I shared the tweet on my Instagram page, and all this stuff, but listen, you know, there's there's better people to talk about the type of player he was, and what he did great, and what he didn't, and what it was like to be in a locker room with him, and uh, all those things that go into talking about Kobe, but you know what impressed me as an outside observer over the last couple of years, is how he really, after the NBA, jumped into his role of being a parent. That, to me, was the coolest part, and it was really funny, because I remember, I guess, again, nothing's funny on a day like today, but But I remember, whatever it was, a year or two ago, he was on a podcast on Barstool Sports with Alex Rodriguez and one of the guys that works at Barstool. And basically, you know, they kind of asked him, they're like, come on, man, you must miss the NBA. Like, you're the Mamba, dude, we know you miss the NBA. And he's like, no, I really don't. He's like, dude, I gave it 100% for 20 years. And when I left that court for the last time, I knew I had left everything on the floor, and now I'm on to the next chapter. And the next chapter to me was cooler than the last chapter. I know I'm going to get corny and I'm going to get lame, whatever. So forgive me. But you watch over the last couple of years and what do you see? You see a guy that very clearly is invested in his children, is invested in being a father, is invested in working on being a husband. We all know that there was an issue early on in his marriage that that's another conversation for another day, not saying we shouldn't talk about it. I'm just saying that I don't know that today is the day to do it. Um, but he really, over the last couple of years has really embraced being this father. And I, again, I live in LA and that was the buzz around the community. He just loves coaching his daughter in basketball. And she's, she has that same excitement for basketball that he does. And she has that same mentality that he does. And he just, naturally just moved into that role away from basketball. And so I will say for me, I just thought that was a cool side of Kobe that I wouldn't have known existed. And that to me, not that my feelings matter on a day like today, but I think that was the part that I think hit us all was this idea that like, man, that guy was really trying hard to be the best dad that he could be for his, his now four daughters. He just had his fourth in June he was doing everything he could to be the best dad for his kids, and 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 again, that's the part that I think hits the hardest home, is the fact that, you know, this was a guy that for twenty years gave everything that he had to basketball, and you could you could, um, you know, you can Google the stories, but he'd get up at three a.m. to get a workout in because he needed to know that he was up when everybody else was sleeping, and then he'd take his kids to school, and then he'd go play in the NBA and do what an NBA guy does. But I bring that up because of the fact that it was so cool to see him transition out of that, to see him put all that energy into his family. And I will say, like, for me, and this is the part where it gets corny, you know, I'm a guy, like I said, in my mid-30s, you know, I'm thinking about, am I gonna have a family? And part of the thing is, like, dude, can I really be a good dad? Can I really be there for my kids? Am I really gonna be able to do everything that I need to do to provide? And I know that a lot of people feel that exact same way in my age group. And so to see him embrace being a father, to see him embrace coaching his daughter, to see all those videos that popped up on social media on Sunday of him at games with his daughter and him at practice with his daughter and him working with moves in, in the court with his daughter, that was the part um, that is going to be his legacy to me. And obviously, I'll think of him as a basketball player, but I really will, over these last couple years, think about. Him as a father, him as a coach, him as a kind of community leader. And I thought that was a very cool second act of his career. So again, I appreciate you guys indulging me for a minute here. And again, listen, I I love doing this show. I love coming on Monday and talking about what happened in sports over the previous couple days, but it all feels trivial right now. We will get to it because it does matter to a lot of you. But obviously when we have a tragedy like this, I did feel like it was important uh, to, of course, kind of talk about this off the top and, uh, you know, and we'll move on to the other stuff, but, but you know, just a really sad day. Obviously, our thoughts are now, and I speak for everybody. I'm not just trying to speak for myself here, but our thoughts are with the families of all the victims, certainly Kobe's wife, uh, his three remaining children, and it's just a very, very sad thing, so I appreciate you guys indulging me, and now let's get to what is the normal part of what I do on Mondays, which is recapping the weekend in College Hoops. All right, I want to thank you for indulging me on the Kobe Bryant stuff, and listen, I understand that this is a completely different episode than anything that I normally do, and I do apologize, and I hope that for one day you will indulge me, because it just feels like this is the kind of day where... I'm not saying that 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 if you're a Kentucky fan that the Big 12 SEC challenge doesn't matter if you're a Texas Tech fan or if you're a Baylor fan that the result doesn't matter to you or shouldn't matter to you or whatever. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that there are bigger picture things in life and that it's just hard for a guy like me to spend, you know, 25 minutes talking Kobe, thinking about Kobe, talking about, you know, th- this real life tragedy that I just spent a bunch of time talking about and then getting into the nitty gritty of college basketball like so I just think today is going to have to be a different show and so what I do think I'm going to do is this is that rather than doing exactly what I just said what I normally do 20 minutes on whoa this is what this win means for Kentucky and this is what this win means for Baylor I'm going to do something a little bit lighter as promised I did tell you last episode I would sit down and break down the, the 6, 7, eight teams that I do think are capable of winning a national championship, and I think that'll be a good, easy way to kind of end this show. I just think that there are days to talk about Kentucky-Texas Tech, and we're going to talk about Memphis on the next episode, because they are a mess, and I promise you at some point I will talk about Khalil Whitney, because I think that thing is crazy. But I also just don't think today's the day to spend 10 minutes crushing a kid or or being critical of a kid for leaving in the middle of the season, when, again, there are real-world things that have happened that obviously have taken precedence. So I promise you, I will get to all of that, and in the meantime, what I will do is I will talk about national championship contenders, because, again, I think on a day where everybody's talking Kobe, including me, uh, it's something a little bit lighter, it's something a little bit more easy to digest – and also, it's just something that it's fun, and it's something that will hopefully, at the very least, take your mind off of Kobe for 15 minutes as I kind of do this segment. And so, let's talk about this, because I did mention it on the last episode. I do think that it's crazy in this year in college basketball, right, where we've spent the last three months, oh my god, This t- there's, only, there's no great teams, and this team stinks, and that team stinks, and this team lost to that team, and so that means that they're terrible, and We've said like, it's wide open, it's as wide open as it's ever been, yet here we are in late January going into the final week of the month, last full, week, full month of the regular season is obviously February, and I really do think, like always, there are about six, seven, eight teams that are starting to separate themselves. And it's funny, right? Because that doesn't mean that just because six or seven teams haven't separated themselves that we can't get a surprise team in the Final Four that George Mason or VCU or Wichita State can't make a run. doesn't mean that we can't have a butler playing for the national championship. But when you really look at the history of college basketball and the teams that actually win the national championship, it's actually a pretty small group by this time of year that can actually win it. If you go back and look at recent history Every year for pretty much the last like decade and a half, it's either a number one seed, which means a team that's basically established itself by this point as one of the best teams in college basketball, or it's a team with the absolute best player in the sport like UConn with Kemba Walker, or UConn with Shabazz Napier. And so I do think that when you kind of whittle it down like that, I do think that we're at a place where there's about five, six, seven, eight teams, maybe a few more depending on how you feel about certain people that can win it all. And so let's start off at the top, and I will start off with the team that I thought was the biggest winner of the Big 12 SEC Challenge, and that was actually the Baylor Bears. And maybe it sounds stupid because they are the number one team in the country. I know Baylor is not a blue blood, but Baylor is absolutely good enough to win the national championship. This is a team that has not lost since November 8th of this year, so we're going on three full months since they've lost, and they're halfway through Big 12 play, a tough conference, And they're undefeated. Their resume speaks for itself, but just if you don't know, here is what you need to know. They obviously just won at Florida. They won against Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. They won against Texas Tech at Texas Tech. They beat Villanova on a neutral court. They beat Arizona at home. They beat Butler at home, which until a couple weeks ago was Butler's only loss of the year. And so when you've beaten that many good teams over the course of a season, that many good teams away from home, it means you can play. And I've spent a ton of time talking about Baylor on this podcast, I'm not going to spend too much time kind of breaking down who they are or what their personnel is, but what you need to know is very simply this. One, they fit the profile, veteran team, been there before, basically returned everybody from last year. Last year was kind of fascinating. They were picked to finish last in the Big 12. They actually finished fourth, so they were already ahead of schedule. They win an NCAA tournament game. They beat Syracuse in the first round. They do lose to Gonzaga in the second round. But they bring everybody back, and they're just a juggernaut. And listen, I think there's only about one guy on that roster that's a surefire, can can't-miss NBA player, Jared Butler. But in a season like this, I don't know that you need five pros. There's no team that's going to line up Zion and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish or Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist or Carl Anthony Towns and Willie Cauley-Stein and Devin Booker. Like That team doesn't exist. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not teams that do have NBA talent we are going to get into them. But it just means that in a season like this, Baylor is legit. And what I love about them is that they are so battle-tested, they are so tough, and they are so fearless. That's the thing that stands out to me about them. They are so fearless. They go into Allen Fieldhouse, they're not afraid. They go to Florida. Looks like they've done it a million times. And so for those reasons, yes, I do believe that Baylor is absolutely a national championship contender. They are not going to be afraid of the competition. They are not going to be afraid of anything or anyone that they see in the NCAA tournament. Second team, you guys are going to hate me, it's the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I know some of you hate Gonzaga, and I know that you think, oh my God, they don't play anybody. First of all, don't tell me they don't play anybody, okay? Because here's the bottom line. First of all, in out of conference, they already beat the three best teams in the Pac-12. They beat Oregon on a neutral court in the Bahamas. They won at Arizona, and they won at Washington before Quade Green flunked off the team when Washington was actually good. So they already beat the three best teams in the Pac-12, which means that they would run away with the Pac-12. I would argue that their conference is actually pretty good this year. Keep in mind that BYU, even though they lost the other day, a game I bet, don't want to talk about it, BYU has some good wins out of conference, including, let's not forget, they beat they beat Virginia Tech who is in like fourth place in the ACC right now. So once you get, you know, the thing is, everyone thinks like, oh, all these power conferences are so great. I think you can make a legitimate case that the ACC has two or three really good teams and then you get past that. There's not a lot of talent there. And Gonzaga's conference, I'm not saying that it's great. What I am saying is that I do think that they have two legitimate at-large candidates in St. Mary's and BYU, and they have a couple other teams that are really good, which is pretty comparable to some power conference teams. The layout of Gonzaga's conference is not all that different from the ACC. Now, there isn't the second or third dominant team like there is in the ACC, but there's actually some pretty good talent. Not saying the ACC is worse than WCC, I'm just saying the gap between the WCC isn't as big as everything else. But here's the real reason why I like Gonzaga. You know, if you want to say they don't play anybody, if you want to say their conference sucks, okay, whatever. But here's what you need to know about Gonzaga is very simply this. They got pros on that roster. And you look at Jonathan Cavoni's mock draft or Sam Vecini's mock draft or any of these guys that do mock drafts. They will have two or three Gonzaga guys in their mock draft. Corey Kispert, their wing. Joel Ayayi, my guy, who I've been telling you about since November, and... Uh, Philip Petrosev, the big guy. Killian Tilly was scheduled to be a first-round pick until he got hurt, but now he's healthy. And so I bring that up because if you want to criticize Gonzaga because of their conference, I'm not going to fight you on it. What I will say, though, is very simply this. They got four dudes that are going to be drafted probably this year, which is about as much as anybody. And so if you're telling me that you just don't think that, they're, that they play good enough competition, that's fine. But they have the players to match up with anybody. I think Gonzaga is as good as anybody. I'm not going to lie. I think if I had to go to Vegas right now and put down money on it, I would probably take Gonzaga. Third team, and I'm just kind of going, I'll tell you this. I think that those two are the two best and most consistent teams I've seen. After that, I think there's a second tier, and then we'll get to the third tier. So let's start with the second tier, and I'm going to name a team that is very familiar to a lot of people listening to this. The Kentucky Wildcats are absolutely a national championship contender. And if we have a non-Kentucky fan listening, and oh, they're always overrated, and people like you always say that, Torres, all I'll say is this. Michigan State currently in first place in the Big Ten. Kentucky beat them. Louisville currently in first place in the ACC. Kentucky beat them. Kentucky just won at... Texas Tech, which is the reigning Big 12 champ. So you just look at their schedule, and I know they have bad losses. I know the South Carolina loss sucks. I know the Evansville loss certainly sucks. I know the Utah loss sucks. But, 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 Let's not forget that the three best teams they've played on their schedule, they beat two of them away from Rupp Arena and two of them, Louisville and Michigan State, are currently in first place in power conference standings. And so why I like Kentucky, why I think they can win it all, is the reason that all of you that listen that are Kentucky fans already know. Very simply this, their guards are as good as anybody. Their guards play both ends of the court, Emmanuel quickly is hitting big shots, Ashton Hagen's is setting people up. They all play defense. And, of course, Nick Richards has emerged as a freaking, I'm talking about like potential SEC player of the year type good, Nick Richards. And so when you look at Kentucky, they have all the pieces. The three-point shots are starting to fall down. The defense is elite. And here is the big thing. Like Baylor, I think they are so battle-tested already. I mean, I can't think of one team who has gone to two tougher environments then Kentucky has the last two weekends at Arkansas last week, at Texas Tech this week. We all saw the videos. We all saw the students lining up two or three days in advance. We all saw the free beer at Texas Tech and won those games. And so when I look at a Kentucky team, usually this time of the year is when they're just starting to turn the corner. And I don't know if it's because they got mentally tough for kids or because they have more vets than usual, but I look at this team and I'm like, they shouldn't be this good this early. Now, look, are they going to take some losses throughout SEC play? Of course they will. They're not going undefeated from here on out. That's not what I'm saying. But are they good enough to win six games in March? Absolutely. All right, in that second tier as well, I will say there's another team I like, and this is another one. You guys are going to yell at me. The San Diego State Aztecs. You guys, oh, they don't play anybody. They're terrible. First of all, they beat Creighton by about 30. Creighton's tied for second place in the Big East. They beat Iowa, which is a top 15 team. They won at BYU, which is going to be a tournament team. I get it. The schedule isn't great, but just do me a favor. Before you chirp at me, before you come in my Twitter mentions, or before you DM me on Instagram and say, Torres, these guys suck, sit down and watch them. You don't get to be 21-0 by accident, and I know they did struggle a little bit on Sunday, but UNLV is a tough team. It was on the road. It was a weird Sunday afternoon tip. San Diego State can play, and first of all, they got the dudes to do it. If you want to say the conference sucks, this sucks, that sucks, whatever, that's fine. But with San Diego State, they have dudes on that team. Their starting point guard, Malachi Flynn, began his career in the Pac-12, averaged 16 points a game before transferring. Their power forward, Yanni Wetzel, began his career in the SEC before transferring. Um, They have a 7-footer named Nathan Mensah. They got a kid named Matt Mitchell who actually sometimes comes off the bench that could get 20 for any team in college basketball. They have three point shooting, Jordan Shekel, Adam Seiko. They have guys that can play. They have got pieces that do everything, and they can absolutely play with and beat everybody. And the thing that separates them from a lot of these other teams, and I don't include like Gonzaga in there because Gonzaga's been there for so long, but San Diego State has actual size and physicality. They play two guys, they start two guys that are 6'10 or bigger. And I bring that up because of the simple fact that it creates so many matchup problems because most teams aren't even playing one guy that big, let alone two. So before you chirp at me, watch San Diego State because to me, they are absolutely a national championship contender. Last couple, as I start to wrap up here, that's four. I got about six, seven left. Um, Seton Hall. Seton Hall. Listen, I talk about Seton Hall on every episode. I'm not going to spend too much time on them. What you need to know is very simply this. They're in first place in arguably the toughest conference in college basketball, top to bottom, the Big East. They have won uh, like nine straight games. They beat Maryland at home, even without Miles Powell. And they haven't lost since the middle of December. And they're playing their best basketball. They get scoring from all five spots on the floor. They have a big seven-footer that protects the rim and alters shots, almost the way that Nick Richards completely changes games on defense. They have a kid named Romero Gill who does the exact same thing. And so when I look at this team, same thing. Vets, big shot makers, toughness. They've been there before. They've taken bad losses. They've gotten over hurdles. Reminds me of Baylor. Reminds me of this Kentucky group that is all sophomores and juniors except for Tyrese Maxey leading the team. And I look at Seton Hall and I say, there's no reason to think that that team cannot win a national championship. Now, will they? Their coach, Kevin Willard, has never gotten out of the second round of the NCAA tournament, so he does not have the experience of Mark Few or Tom Izzo or John Calipari or Bill Self or Coach K. But I'm just telling you right now, they got the dudes, they got the pieces, and they are playing out of their minds. I guess my only concern, as I've mentioned a couple times, they have a few dudes coming back from injuries. Sometimes that can be good, but sometimes it can mess up chemistry. I want you to watch that over the next couple weeks because I do think they'll be okay, but I'm just not positive. Staying in the Big East, I'm not totally sold. By the way, I should backtrack. I think those five right now feel to me like the elite of the elite, okay? And I think it's based on either win-loss record Who they've beaten, how they've beaten them, how they're playing lately in the case of Kentucky and Seton Hall. But to me, those are the teams that have separated themselves to this point. It can change. It's subject to change. It can be altered. But the next tier is teams that, like, I like them, but there's just something just not quite there yet. So let's talk about them. First of all, I did just say, I just did tease the Big East thing. Villanova is a fascinating one to me because Villanova is built like every Villanova team has ever been built, right? They shoot a ton of threes, pump fakes, ball movement, they just they they just play Villanova basketball so well. But what's crazy to me about Villanova is that they're not playing kind of I don't feel like they've peaked yet. I don't feel like if you watch them, it le- there does leave a lot to be desired. They do miss shots that a Villanova team normally makes. It's very interesting. This year, they're shooting 35% from three. Two years ago, when they won the national championship, now granted, it was an older, more veteran team, they shot like 40%. That's a lot of threes that they're missing. And so when I look at Villanova, I see two things. I see a team that's 16 and four, second place in the Big East, behind Seton Hall. And I say, like, dude, if they ever put it together, that team is terrifying but they haven't put it together yet. And I almost wonder with Villanova, do I think they can win the national championship? I do. Do I wonder if they're potentially maybe a year away? I think they might be, because if you look at their roster, Villanova is very interesting. They have zero seniors on the entire roster, and they really only have one guy in their rotation, a kid named Sadiq Bey, who is actually the kind of kid that is on NBA draft boards that could potentially leave for the NBA this season. And so Villanova could essentially bring back their own roster. So I think Villanova is good enough to win the national championship this year, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they fall short, bring back their whole roster, and potentially enter next season as the number one team in the country. But yes, they are good enough to win it. I'll start to wrap up here. I'll try to be quicker. Another team that, like, I see it, but I, it just hasn't fully clicked yet. Michigan State, man. Michigan State, you know I love Michigan State. I really think that starting around the new year, they started to figure things out. They started getting three-point shooting. The kid Aaron Henry, who we thought was going to be like their star wing player, has started to step up a little bit, and I really like Michigan State. Now, my one problem is, up until Sunday, they basically hadn't done anything away from the Breslin Center, away from East Lansing, in months. They lost their first two road games of January pretty convincingly. They got smoked at Purdue, and then they lost at Indiana in a game that really wasn't that close, but I thought they bounced back nicely on Sunday, kind of in the middle of the Kobe Bryant news. I thought they bounced back nicely Sunday with a win at Minnesota. I bring that up to say I need to see it more consistently before I'm 100% sold that this team can win six games in March, but I thought it was a good sign. I thought if they lost on Sunday, then there was the real question of like, is this just a team that is not built to win six games? I thought it was a good step forward for Michigan on Sunday. A couple other ones. Duke, listen, we all watch Duke. We all know what they do well, what they don't do well. Trey Jones is awesome. Uh, Vernon Carey is awesome down low. He is a matchup problem for just about everybody. I don't know that there's a ton I need to say about Duke. Do I think they can win six in a row? I absolutely think they can win six in a row. Will they? I do need to see a little bit more from the Wings. Cassius Stanley has been awesome, but what about Matt Hurt? What about Joey Baker? Those kind of kids. And then also, let's be honest, Duke lost a couple really bad games in the last two weeks at Clemson. They lose at home to Louisville. And it does make me question it. Do I think Duke can win six? Yes. Do I think they will? I don't, but I'd be remiss if I didn't keep them on this list. Two teams from the Big 12. One is Kansas. Listen, we know Kansas's deal. I've pretty much just talked about them. Um, I, I, excuse me, I pretty much just the way that I explained Duke is essentially what Kansas is. Starts with Devon Dotson, the point guard, the big guy down low, Adoka Azabuke, who I think you can legitimately claim is the most valuable player in college basketball. Because you saw it against Tennessee on Saturday. When he didn't play, when he was out with foul trouble, when he was hurt in previous seasons, they are not the same team. But when he's on the court, everything runs through him. Nobody can guard him one-on-one. Every time he touches the ball, he's getting a dunk or he's going to the foul line. I think he's the most important player. I do think if I was power-ranking teams, they'd be right ahead of Duke. I would like to see a little bit more consistent three-point shooting. I do think it can get there from guys like Ochai Abaji and some of the other guys on that roster. I don't think it's there yet, but I do think it can get there by March, staying in the Big 12. Mention Baylor, mention Kansas. This one's interesting to me. I actually think West Virginia can win the national championship. And it might sound crazy if you haven't like really watched West Virginia. And if you haven't watched West Virginia, just gear up because it is unlike anything that you will see all season. First of all, they play that Bob Huggins physical, nasty, mean defense. But what they do is they're so physical and they're so nasty and they're so mean, they basically break your spirit. I watched them against Texas. I watched them against Missouri the other day in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And you go into this game and you think you're ready for the physicality. And then they just clobber you on every single play. And it's almost like, I remember my buddy Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports Radio. He used to describe Rick Patino's teams coached, coached this way. He would say about Rick Pitino's teams, he'd say, he'd basically say, you know, Pitino, his teams foul you two, three, four, five times every possession. And they, foul, they play so aggressively and foul you so much that they put the refs in an impossible position where they can't call everything. And so it's always tough because you're you're playing it basically like a disadvantage all year. And I always think of Matt Jones saying that when I watch West Virginia because that's basically how they play. They just beat you, beat you up and beat you up and beat you up and beat you up and beat you up until you just quit, until you don't want it anymore. And then this year, on top of that defense, they have two monsters down low, Oscar Shibwe, who almost went to Kentucky, and Derek Culver, and they completely dominate the boards. I believe they are number one in the country in rebound margin as in they get more rebounds compared to their opponents than anyone else in college basketball. And so because of that, they play such a unique style. I think it's gonna be really hard for somebody who has not seen them play to beat them. I truly believe that this is a team that is good enough to win six games in March. And again, I don't know if you're the team that has to play them in the second round or the elite eight on one day's rest, one day preparation. I don't know how you prepare for them. Again, they've beaten up everybody that they've played. I think it's going to be tough. Their one weakness is they're not a great three-point shooting team. So if you can handle them on the boards and you can keep them from making threes, they are beatable, but I think they're a team that's good enough to win it all. All right, last two. I don't know that I really believe in them, but I don't want to necessarily leave them off the list either. First one, kind of similar to West Virginia, is Florida State. Listen, Florida State, same deal, super long, super athletic. They defend the you know what idea. I don't think this team is going to win six games in March, but it feels weird to not include them. They're currently 17 and two. One of their losses came on opening night, so they've basically won. You know, they're 17 and one in their last two 18 games. They're seven and one in the ACC, tied for first place with Louisville, and. They just create so many matchup problems because they're so long and they're so athletic. And again, they went to the Sweet 16 last year. They went to the Elite Eight the year before. So does it seem preposterous to me that they could potentially go in as a two, two seed or a three seed, advance to the Final Four, maybe win a national championship? No. I don't think I'd bet on it. I don't think if I was in Vegas I'd put my money on it. But I think it could happen last team. And I can't believe I'm saying this. I do think... There's at least the possibility, and we're going to see, this is the last one, and I don't want to leave them off because I don't want to look stupid, but I don't think they're going to get there. That's the Louisville Cardinals. Listen, the way that they have improved with this David Johnson kid stepping up, it gives them a totally different dimension because he's a playmaker, he gets others involved, and he can get his own shot. And so when I look at that team, I say, man, if he comes along the way that he's capable of with Jordan Wara and the way they play defense, they just went to Duke and they won, I do think they can win it all. The question is, can you get that kind of consistency from a freshman point guard for six games? And even if you do, can you get enough from everybody else where when he has a bad game or Jordan Wara has a bad game? I don't know. I don't know if you can get that from them. But I do think it's at least possible that they get there by the end of the year. So I don't want to include them. I think that's 10 teams, and I would put them at a distant 10th. But I'd be remiss if I didn't include them. They were a preseason top five team. They did just win at Duke, and I do think it's at least possible. All right, so those are my national championship teams that I do think are good enough to win it all. Uh, As I mentioned, in no particular order, Baylor, Gonzaga, San Diego State, Kentucky, Seton Hall, those are my top five, Nova, Michigan State, Duke, Kansas, West Virginia, and Louisville and Florida State. All right, well, that last segment actually went a lot longer than I thought it would. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening to today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I didn't mention it off the top because for the millionth time on a day like today, it's not important. But if you're not subscribed, I would love for you to hit that subscribe button. iTunes, Podcast Addict, if you have an Android, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, whatever. Please make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. I know some of you have asked about Nick Coffee. Listen, man, Nick and I are doing everything that we can to make this work, but Nick has a three-hour show every day. He's got a kid, and he's got a newborn on the way, so his schedule is pretty limited. I'm trying to get guests. We're doing the best that we can, but I appreciate you guys listening. Again, rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Um, make sure you're following on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Instagram. And finally, if you have any questions, we'll do a mailbag here again soon, AaronTorresPodcastQuestions at gmail.com. Again, I appreciate you guys working with me through this one episode, which is completely different than anything that I've ever done. Uh, But I do appreciate your patience. I do appreciate you allowing me to do something different on what is a very different day in the sports world. Again. There will be, I I promise, next episode I'll talk Khalil Whitney and I'll talk Memphis and I'll talk whatever comes up between now and then, but it felt like today was the right day to handle the show the way that I did, so I appreciate it. That's all. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Uh, It was a fun show. I appreciate your patience. I will be back later this week.